And there's been a wonderful tradition here at All Saints of having our lives be formed and our minds expanded and our hearts opened uh, through the arts. And this series of Artists in Residence is encouraging us to um, go on that journey, that sacred journey, um, through the arts. I'm going to uh, invite Martha Eskew to come forward just now to introduce the first uh, in our series, uh, which, as you can already see, is a beautiful uh, feast for the eyes. Um, so, Martha, I invite you to come forward. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Um, as we look around this room, it's like it's been transformed. You know, and, and uh, we have spirits over here and portals. And to me, I just want to say, when we hung this yesterday, it was, um, it transformed this room. And to me, that's the power of art, is to uh, transform us. It puts us in a different energy or a different spirit. And so... Um, this is about art and spirituality, and I'm going to give a very brief introduction of our two people today, and thank you, Arturo, and thank you, Opa, for being here. Um, let's see. Arturo is a parishioner here, and uh, last year helped me organize a art and spirituality program that was um, terrific. And this time, he's volunteered to do this again, thank you, and gifted us with uh, a colleague, and I think a collaborator, um, Opal Moore, who's here in the front, and you'll uh, meet her in just a moment. But um, I just want to say that she's a poet and an author. She has, uh, I think she's a native of Chicago, took her MFA from that renowned Iowa Writers Workshop, and has been teaching um, writing and African-American literature in both uh, schools in the U.S. and in Europe. And uh, she's currently at Spelman in the English department. No? She's retired. She's telling me right now. I got I to gotta get caught up on things. <laughs> and, um, and collaborating with Arturo um, on a uh, project. Um, and now about Arturo, um, I will tell you that his list of accomplishments in scholarship and art and activism are very long, so I'm going to give you just some highlights. Um, born in Panama, raised in Brooklyn, um, educated in the Northeast at uh, Massachusetts and then a PhD from NYU. He's a uh, Fulbright Scholar. Um, he's uh, one of the founders of Plexus, which is an international artist cooperative doing what they call operas, big works of art, um, really in Europe and America, I think, and Africa. So um, He's been commissioned by the Smithsonian um, and um, he has a long list of uh, scholarly publications about his particular um, area, which is ethnographic research into the uh, spiritual African traditions in America. And um, his art has been exhibited 
all over the US and Europe and Central and South America. Um, he, in 2016, retired from Spelman as the chairman of the Department of Art and Art History to focus on his own work. Um, and I just want to say, getting to know Arturo, I will tell you, he has a very large family that he cares deeply about. And this is not only his blood family and his cousins, Panama and the US, but many, many other people that he has mentored and befriended and worked in activism. I know he's been active for social justice since college days. And uh, I think they all refer to him as Tio, which is uncle. And um, he calls them his godchildren. And he will do anything for them. Um, and I'm going to turn the mic over to him and let him talk to you about his work and what we're looking at. Thanks a lot, Martha. Uh, can everybody hear me okay? <laughs> All right. Um, the last thing you want to have is an old uh, retired college professor, you know, stand up and give a talk without notes uh, because it'll go on forever and ever and ever and never get to the point. So um, I got notes. <laughs> uh, so I'd like to thank, you know, Martha Eskew for being very supportive of my work over the years and for inviting me to make this uh, presentation today. Thanks also to Rebecca Parker, Maurice Redrick, Redrick, Redick, uh, Victor Young from All Saints, as well as uh, my colleagues, uh, Dan Bichelli, uh, who's back there, and Evelyn Quinones, uh, both of whom are gonna help you know, in documenting this, um, uh, this, this event. Um, there's, um, I see Darian hasn't arrived yet. Uh, but anyway, I had a couple of um, young artists you know, who assisted me in putting this together uh, yesterday, so I really want to thank them. Uh, a special thanks to uh, one of my cohorts I can see here from um, the Jazz and Spirituality uh, uh, class that we, that we attend every Saturday at First Congregation. And I should say that this is a true test of, um, of a good friend and a cohort, uh, and that this is Jazz Sunday at First Church. <laughs> And Wanda has chosen to come here <laughs> to hear me. So the moment that this is this uh, we're finished, don't be surprised if you see her running out the door, you know, and <laughs> to hear some jazz, you know, at First Church. Um, I'm especially grateful to my colleague uh, and art partner Opal Moore, uh, with whom I have collaborated with over the years. The definition of a true art partner is one who catches the ball that you drop just before it hits the floor and gets it back into your juggling act without skipping a beat. Let me explain. When I told Opal last week that I was doing this talk and I was incorporating one of her poems, you know, she responded, great, I'll be there. What Opal meant was, I'll be there in the audience. <laughs> My selective hearing heard, great, I'll be there and read the poem. <laughs> Please know that the poem that you will hear today, you know, is emotionally charged, bittersweet story of a comp with complex pronunciations of African names and terms that require a great deal of preparation. Now, a couple of days ago, I'm talking with Opal, 
And um, it's at that point that we figure out the, the, the miscommunication. And without skipping a beat, <laughs> you know, Oprah goes, all right, I'll do it. <laughs> Which meant that she spent the last couple of days rehearsing this over and over again. But she's great, what can I tell you? You'll see. <laughs> so, um, yeah, gracias, uh, Oprah, thank you very much. Finally, I'd like to thank Simon, you know, for doing this. I think the idea of having an artist in residence uh, program, you know, at, at a, a religious institution is a, is, a, is a tremendous idea, you know, and having an All Saints is even better. But I've been toying around with the idea, uh, Simon, of calling myself an artist saint in residence at uh, All Saints. <laughs> we'll see how that plays out. <laughs> All right. My talk this morning covers three decades of sac sacro-secular contemplation at the intersection where my scholarly, spiritual, and, uh, and artistic journeys, you know, converge. Central to this meditation is a perennial struggle of good over evil with a focus, you know, on the attempts to erase the histories, memories, and God-given souls, you know, of our Afro-descendant children, beginning during the transatlantic slave trade and continuing today with the murders of our children that is so much part of our contemporary life in the 21st century. The PowerPoint presentation um, uh, will focus, uh, no, no, I'm sorry, the PowerPoint presentation will focus on the Middle Passage, the work that I've done regarding the Middle Passage, and the uh, paintings that you see on the walls are from my um, Painted Poems uh, series, uh, the, the exhibition that I, that I have that, that was shown earlier this year. Uh, and we, I'll be around if anyone after, you know, wants a deeper, in a conversation, we'll talk about that. Um, let me start making this roll now. And now I know I took the um, clicker. There it is. And are we on here? Can you help me get us on? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Um, so where's my? You know, usually what I do before giving a talk, I uh, pour libations to Elegua, which is the Orisha, you know, of the crossroad, you know, and it's a trickster. And this morning, you know, I was all intended to, you know, to pour some uh, libations for Elegua, and it slipped. And so what happened? This is what happened, okay? So, Elegua, abre la puerta que ya comienza. I just asked Elegua to open the door so that we could begin, okay? Uh, so, there we go. Um, what you'll experience this morning is an abbreviated presentation that usually includes my art partners, Opal Moore, on poetry, Joe Jennings on sax, as you see Joe over here, you know, and me on slides. We sound like a jazz trio, don't we? This is the closest I can get to being a jazz musician, so let's work with it, okay. So, all right, uh, folks, fasten your seatbelts and let's begin the journey. To see is to know, 
But how can we know the unseen, the histories, the stories, or even the names of a people that were uh, un undocumented, erased? I asked myself that question late one evening as the sun was setting behind the hills on the Bay of Portobello on the Caribbean coast of the Republic of Panama. My studio in Portobello faces the remains of a dock that was at one time the first encounter with Tierra Firme for many weary, shackled, and enslaved black feet whose journeys began months earlier in Africa. The setting sun in Portobello reflects off the cerulean blue sky and puffy white clouds onto the still waters of the bay, producing a rather unique effect of light that seemingly glows from beneath the surface of the water. I wondered that evening, could this light be the souls of those that did not disembark? Could this light be the souls of those that perished at sea during the Middle Passage? The following morning, I began imaging and imagining the, um, the anonymous faces of the innocent children that did not arrive in the village. I was, I was beginning to focus on what's referred to as los desaparecidos, the ones that disappeared. My drawing session attracted uh, neighborhood kids who began guessing the identity of the, uh, of the subjects of, uh, in my drawing. Ese parece Jerónimo. No, 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 parece Tatu. El primo de Gustavo. Mentira, parece a Tito, el hijo de Janeca. Their guessing made me realize that my drawings were probably not that anonymous after all. Maybe the faces of the children I saw daily in my neighborhood were informing my drawing. And if that is true, I thought, then maybe the faces in my drawings bear phenotypic resemblances to their ancestors as well as family members of their ancestors that perished at sea. So maybe I was actually drawing the faces of children that died during the transatlantic slave trade. So began my journey. I became obsessed with knowing the identity of the children in my drawings. I wanted to know their stories. I wanted to hear their laughter. You know, I wanted to listen to their voices. I wanted to know their names. I returned to Atlanta that fall with a portfolio of line drawings and faces that later were reworked into a series of prints. This is one of them during uh, an artist residency at Brandywine uh, Workshop in Philadelphia. Naming the children proved to be easy. I simply looked up traditional ethnic African names from villages and areas where the enslaved were abducted. It is within the realm of possibilities that a child by the name of Ye from the village of Ejesu in Ghana uh, might have been abducted and then ended up on one of those slavers. The same could be safe for someone like Babatunde from Lagos. Their stories, however, eluded me. Finally, I approached Opal, asking her to live with my children for a while and to see if they will tell her their stories. And they did. 
through the rituals of seeking, seeing, and imagining that is art, they gave Opal the fragmented stories of their lives in Africa before their uh, abduction. They also told her of their journeys across the sea. They told her about, the, the mothers, the, about their mothers and fathers. They told her about their gods. They told her uh, a story of a moment when, a slave, when the slave catchers arrived in the village of, of, uh, of Indir in Mali. They told her how the women of Indir put the stories of their lives into song for children to sing and remember. They told her about the women who charged their favorite daughter in the village of, of Indir, the one who wove stories in baskets to carry their story in song back to us, the yet unborn. They told Opal the story of the courageous women making the ultimate sacrifice before climbing the ladder they made of smoke to be with their maker. The stories they told her were stories of how they lived, how they loved, and how they courageously chose to die. Here's a story that they told uh, Opal about the women of Indira. Can we get that mic again? Oh, there it is. Thank you. My voice is a little bit less resonant than uh, some. This is uh, a story, as Arturo said, that comes largely of the imagination. But it's also a story that is about a quest to share in our own um, quite complex past. The story is called The Women of Indira. This is a longer story, I'm reading just a little bit of it for you. The girl in this story is named Jaluya, girl of Indir, in the, the region of now Mali. Jaliya, Jali, referred to a tradition of music and story song. And I just want to preface this by referencing a line that uh, Arturo Remember, that is Malcolm X asking, who taught you to hate yourself? Who taught you to hate your hair? Who taught you to hate your, you know, your, your color, your skin? But, my, but the reverse question for the artist is, how do we teach ourselves to love? How do we teach that? And I think that that story tradition, the song tradition and story tradition is how we have. So we have two characters here initially in the first part, and then we have the community in part two. Old woman Tata Kokyati jokes with the child she calls Jali. Elephant grass for baskets tangled at their feet. When they come for you, Jali, you must tell them, I do not fetch waters. 
I do not pound millet, sir. I am the granddaughter of Gantumandua, the griot of kings. My grandfather gave Madan his coat of war, coat of leather, cowries, and silver. Tell them I am goddaughter of Sundiata. I did not walk till I was eight years. I did not dance till I was 11 years. I am daughter of two fathers. Daughter Jali laughs, laughs each time old one tells the story of stories. And this is part two. The day the betrayers came, the husbands, fathers, sons of Indir were many shouts away. The day the betrayers came, the drums were silent, silent. When the betrayers came to speak to the mothers of Indir, the spirit of the old one spoke on the wind from the cliffs of the ancestors, and the women teased their takers. Oh, cousins, take time, break cola. We will summon the husbands to break bread with you, to break breath with you. We must pour libation of welcome to you and the gods who have sent you. The women sang and with their braziers touched each corner of their houses with fire, laid fire in every door. With burning eyes, they chose Kokuyati's daughter, Jaliya, goddaughter of Sundiati, Sudiata, granddaughter of Guanduman Dua, the griot of kings. She would live. She would sing the husbands, fathers, brothers, sons of the day the mothers of Indair fought their souls with ashes. Inside this house, the women cry out to the great ones, Ama, Allah, Olodumare. And singing, they climb the ladder made of smoke to confront their maker. Jaliya, daughter of Indir, chosen, forced free, wearing the palm prints of women burned forever upon her back. Her mark the storied hands of her mothers, sisters, grandmothers, their ash upon her brow. Goddaughter of, le of legend, daughter of song, lover of the pale fox, woman, child of fire, child of smoke, sing sorrow, sing praise, we wala, we wala. Fling your pebbles, bright, each stone a name upon the darkening waters. Click, clack, sister of Lotus. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Opal.
Hopeful and I began a collaboration that allowed us to see the faces and hear the voices of the children that others wished to erase. Through art, we retold their stories in Atlanta, in Panama, in New York, on Gorey Island in Senegal, and various uh, cities in, uh, in Germany. We told their stories sometimes together and at times in separate presentations. The important thing, however, is that we were able to defy anonymity. Our children now had faces, they had names, they had histories, and they had voices. Opal writes, once lost, how can something as intangible as identity uh, so lightly fixed in a given name be regained? This question was my point of entry into an artistic collaboration with Arturo and the subject of his series uh, of prints titled Children of Middle Passage. She goes on to say, we entered into an active artistic collaboration that, was span that has spanned several years and multiple revisions and re-envisions, resulting in an interdisciplinary, uh, multifaceted art performance work and now a book. Our book, however, is still a work in progress. In light of the recent murders of young black men and boys at the hands of the police and other young black men and boys through gun violence, I wonder if our book is reminding us that we are still in middle passage and therefore cannot be finished. Opal may have a point. She made a significant change in the title of my print series when she said, the absence of the article the in Children of Middle Passage allow us to understand that we are still in Middle Passage, end quote. Historical documents are valuable sources you know, of information knowing important moments and events of the past. They are, however, as we all know, written by, mostly by the victors, the wealthy, the literate, and the elite, and almost always to enslave the minds of the poor, the oppressed, the undereducated, and the defenseless. But is their story the whole story? I believe not. The false epistemological assessment of Africans as non-humans, devoid of cultures, languages, or religious belief systems worthy of preservation, was put into practice when European enslavers and Christian missionaries uh, instituted the practice of erasing African memories under the guise of, quote, civilizing the savages. When they forcibly forced, uh, when they forcibly imposed European religions, customs, and values on abducted Africans. It was believed that the best slaves were those that were a tabla rasa, a blank slate, capable of adopting, defending, promoting, and even proselytizing the religions that, and cultures of their enslavers. While it is possible to enslave a person who has his own religious belief system and culture intact, it is impossible to make that person a slave. Malcolm X famously asked, who taught you? to hate the, feet, the, the texture of your, of your hair? Who taught you to hate the color of your skin? Who taught you to hate the, the, the shape of your nose and the shape of your lips? Who taught you to hate yourself from the top of your head 
to the soles of your feet? Who taught you to hate your own kind? Who taught you to hate the race uh, that you belong to so much so that you don't want to be around each other? You should ask yourself, who taught you to hate being what God made you? Malcolm's questions in 1962 were relevant then uh, as they were in 1862 and in 1762 and in 1662 and today in 2019. While a great deal of progress has been made, today many of our children continue to be taught to hate the beautiful blackness of their skin, the lovely curly kink in their hair, and the luscious lips and broad noses that adorn their faces. Malcolm identified the problem as being taught to hate ourselves, but it's up to us, all of us, to find ways to unlearn that le those lessons and teach uh, little black boys and little black girls to love themselves. This, however, would require a multifaceted response from all of us. Little black boys and little black girls, like little white boys and little white girls, are all our children. I believe that art and poetry, music and dance, theater and performance art, and especially storytelling in books, movies, TV, and social media can help free that God-given soul uh, of, young, of a young boy or girl. We can help that child to liberate herself or himself by erasing erasure. Artists, as artists, we have the power to conjure up a powerful ashe, a powerful life force that can erase erasure by transcending time, space, and the immorality of racism and bigotry. And let me repeat that again. The immorality of racism and bigotry. That's an immoral act. But the artist community is not alone. Scholars, educators, critics, waiters, doctors, garbage collectors, priests, neighbors, philosophers, and, and historians can and should participate in nurturing our children. They too can nurture our children by seeing the God in their souls and teaching them to fall in love with him. Let's teach our children to fall in love with the God that's living in their souls. And Suzaki Shange said it best when she wrote, I found God in myself and I loved her. I loved her fearlessly. Finally, it takes all of us, regardless of our gender identity, uh, race, ethnic, or national origin, to widen our aesthetic appreciation in order to truly see, in order to truly know, in order to truly, to fully savor the American gumbo that is the palimpsest of our collective uh, beauty as a nation. How wonderful it would be were a blonde, blue-eyed, uh, tall elementary school uh, teacher were to greet a little black girl entering his classroom by saying, my God, Imani, how beautiful you look today. Think about how those words could nurture that child's soul. And what about a suburban white woman 
Standing on line in a grocery store were to say to a black woman holding a baby, you have such a beautiful baby. Think about it. One summer, I taught an art course at, for Upward Bound at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. There were highly spirited black and Puerto Rican um, teenagers from uh, Springfield, Massachusetts. In the group, there was a boy named Derek, whose skin was very, very black. He also uh, had very thick lips and a broad nose. He was often the, the, the brunt of the most vile and wicked racist jokes imaginable. In order to soften the sting of those, of those uh, remarks and insults, he often played along with his friends and oftentimes initiating the ridicule. One day, I announced to my class that I needed a, a, I needed a model with royal features. I was about to build a, a, a piece of sculpture, and so I wanted this royal features. So I shared with them the sculpture that you see here. This is an oni you know, of the ancient city of Ife. Everyone except Derek volunteered to be my model. When I chose Derek, there was silence, then there was awkward giggles, then silence again. I went on to, I went on to speak about the beauty of Derek's lips and of the incredible broadness of his nose, as well as the velvety blackness of his skin. That moment was a, uh, was a game changer for those kids. I challenged them to think differently. I made them realize there are other ways of seeing. Once they begin to erase the negative stereotypes uh, um, that were erasing the beauty of this young black boy. After that incident that summer, I no longer heard disparaging remarks you know, about Derek. I pray that this change lasted the rest of his life and theirs. It certainly changed mine. Shortly after this uh, uh, photo was taken, it went viral. This is a little girl named Parker admiring Amy Sherrill's portrait of Michelle Obama at the National Portrait Gallery. It went viral. When Michelle saw, saw it, she invited Parker to visit her at her home where she also met President Obama. The, the primary reason Amy, a former student of mine and one of my godchildren, okay, became an artist, the primary reason Amy became an artist uh, is that she, she so loved museums but never saw herself reflected in the paintings on the walls. And she wanted to change that one person wanting to make a change. Parker's mother uh, has now authored a children's book with Parker retelling the story. A week ago today, I was in, the, um, in Jersey uh, as a guest um, for Amy and, and, um, and her um, partner, um, and I saw the book. It's probably, I think it's coming out this week, and so it'll be available. It's a lovely book, you know, so I'll encourage you to, you know, to look it up, okay? Anyway, today, Parker and her family are very much part of Amy's life. Malcolm, <laughs> Malcolm, I doubt that this little black girl would ever hate being what God 
made her. Muchísimas gracias. Thank you very much. Ache. If we could turn the lights up and do a Q&A. I just want to say, uh, I think we have time for a few questions. And I'll also think Greg Altura and sure. Rachel were willing to stay later and talk about mm -hmm. the painting. Mm -hmm. and sure. If you could take that. yellow slit that's in the uh, all of these paintings those are portals you know so I think of this spirit being that is like moving through I'm, lo I'm losing the word um, yeah, it's a chrysalis thank you and that's the name of the series also <laughs> this is a chrysalis you know um, but anyway they become you know these uh, beautiful butterflies and so you'll see at different stages and with the entire exhibition you'll see it you know, the transition a little bit more. And bottom line is, what I'm doing is I'm just trying to figure out things myself. You know, so I'm in there, I'm, I'm, I'm talking with, and someone in our jazz and spirituality, oh, Wanda, left already. <laughs> I told you she was going to go, you know, listen to some jazz instead of listening to me. <laughs> but, you know, in our jazz and spirituality, you know, class, we had talked about, you know, this a bit more. Yes. Is it online? <laughs> is the narrative uh, online? Uh, part of it, I think, is, uh, yes. Um, part of it is online. It's in the, propo uh, in the proposal. Uh, yeah, you go to my website. Okay. You know, that'll be there. Um, yeah. And then my other question is, maybe for both you and Marsha, how long will this ex exhibition be up, and will you be speaking again? Uh, no, there, there was no plan for that. The... Um, uh, and Martha twisted my arm on this, by the way, because I'm like, you know, I mean, uh, you know, bring my take work off my wall, as you know, as an artist, right, to come up for a one-day show. Dang, that doesn't work very well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but anyway, so yes, we're probably going to be taking it down tomorrow. Oh, okay. Sorry, <laughs> Michael. Arturo, in your talk, I think I heard you say that we're still in the middle passage. Yes. Can you elaborate on that just a little bit? Why don't we have Opal do that? Because uh, she's the one that, Opal does this, and I'm going to tell on you. <laughs> Opal oftentimes will change titles in my, on my paintings or the things that we're doing. But that's what's called, you know, that's what's called, and they're usually better. You know? And when I write something, you know, I'll usually send it to her and say, put it in English. <laughs> so she understood. But would you please, Opal? Sure, thank you, and thank you for that question. When we first started, uh, Arturo spoke of the children of the Middle Passage, and I told him, take out the articles, because I don't think we have gotten out of the Middle Passage. If you, obviously, historically, the Middle Passage is that transition, uh, the triangle trade, that economic story, uh, and that story of dispossession, and that story of removal, but uh, for the work of art, the poems that I began to develop actually cross time, they're diasporic, so that some of the poems are situated in the past as the women of Ndir. But the question, again, the working question is always, what is the connection between this and that? What is the connection between this story and that story? And as I uh, commented briefly, I think that one of the 
the the women of Endear is actually should be performed as a story as it would be in a story circle. Uh, it should not be read. Uh, it mm -hmm. should be it should occur in that framework of the communal story. And the way that the communal story operates is that it presents you with a puzzle. So the the question at the end of that story is not, oh, the women died, but what are we supposed to take from the story that was kept? You know, why is that story important? Why should it matter to us? Uh, and what does it suggest to us about living, at not just death, but what does it uh, speak to us to about living? So removing the article means that we don't situate the middle passage as a singular event that ends. Uh, the the uh, connections that Arturo has made in his commentary and in his materials is that these stories speak to the ways that death is occurring now in our communities. And we are called upon to, to ask and ask and ask as opposed to settle for uh, answers that we may have been given. So taking out the the children of Middle Passage allows us all then to step into that story. Children of Middle Passage uh, does not limit itself to a particular place, story, or time. Thank you. What a wonderful um, way to end. You may not have known this, but you hit the Episcopal nail right on the head. Don't <laughs> settle for the answers you've been given. Continue to ask and ask and ask. And at our best, that's our tradition. Mm -hmm. um, I do want to encourage you to ask questions of Arturo um, at the end of our time together, um, because some of us will transition to uh, the church for the 1115 service. But I want to say thank you to you both for such a rich and abundant a blessing in our lives, and I hope that this morning will continue to reverberate for you, um, mm -hmm. and that, and also for the both of you, uh, that your art will be this beautiful two-way gift mm -hmm. that has been for us this morning. Would you just join me one more time in offering our appreciation? <laughs>